0: Good evening everyone. How are you? Welcome home. We were looking for our fearless leader. <laughs> he finally showed up. Yeah, he's a slacker running late. <laughs> Church went a little long, I guess. Yeah, just a bit. How are y'all doing? Good. Everybody's good. Good, good. All right. Uh, y'all have any questions or anything you'd like to talk about before we get going tonight? All right, uh, we're going to pick up at uh, paragraph 24 um, in the Large Catechism. Let me go ahead and pull this up while we uh, do that. I forgot about that. Let's grab the file. So uh, as we're talking about uh, the, the first commandment, uh, again, we, we remember that, that a God is anything that we would fear, love, and trust in uh, more than God. A- and so that's then not to say then um, that uh, these things are necessarily bad. It's to say that um, it's to say that we we trust the creation more than the creator, that, that we actually trust um, the the God who uh, gives less than the stuff that He's giving. Um, that, that's a bad habit to be in, and it leaves us set up for all kinds of world of hurt. Uh, and so that's something that we do want to kind of be cautious of as as we start to go through these things. Um, come on in, guys. Uh, So we're at paragraph 24, um, which is right here, and away we go. But let's be said to the simple, that they may well note and remember that the meaning of this commandment, namely, that we are to trust in God alone and look to him and expect from him not but good, as from one who gives us body, life, food, drink, nourishment, health, protection, peace, and all necessities of both temporal and eternal things. Alright, so this is one uh, that the Christians genuinely kind of struggle with as, uh, as we, we try and live our, our lives in faith. So we, we know that we are to expect from God nothing but good. Uh, we are to look to God only for good things, um, but that means we have to try and figure out what to do with the bad things. Um, and so the easiest thing that we, we sometimes do in this is that we pretend that um, good things come from God and bad things come from the devil. And um, it's just sort of at war. Um, among us and so if we don't like this thing clearly the devil did that and if I did like this thing clearly it was God Um, but the problem when we do this is that first and foremost we set aside the Ten Commandments and we recognize um, when we lose the Ten Commandments our ideas of good and evil shift quite a bit because I mean the Ten Commandments actually shape for us what is good and if we don't actually have a, a, a compass that points north when it comes to good uh, even figuring out what good is, is problematic. But even then, when you start to read the scriptures too, you have this thing that happens uh, not uh, not near so rarely as I would like. Um, and, and it seems like God keeps messing with folks. Um, like you go to, to my my favorite prophet, Jonah. Um, who is it that sends the storm, that shakes the boat? It was not the devil. It was God. Uh, the, yeah, it, it was God. God did that thing to them. Um, how do you expect from God, not but good, in a world where bad things happen? This then becomes the, the, the big struggle. Uh, we, we start to then either set God apart from the bad things as if, like, he didn't cause it, but, like, he allowed it, um, which is really dangerous language. Um, it, it's usually meant to kind of keep God away from the fault of it because we don't want to look to God for evil. But at the same time, so I'm, I'm a mediocre father. We, we know this. This has been well-established. But here's the thing. If my kids are playing in traffic and I see a truck coming towards them and I don't cause the truck to hit my kids, but I allow it, I'm not a good dad. Like, you can just say that. that that's not okay. If God allows evil things to happen, um, you sort of still have to take issue with it. Um, and in all of it, you know what we set aside that makes it so much easier to deal with? We set aside the cross of Christ where he actually takes evil to its, its, its finality. He bears it unto death and he rises again from the dead. And so here we have a God who is not willing to abide by evil, but is willing to forgive evil sinners. Here we have a God who actually is not willing to just burn the whole creation when it's not going well, but actually dives down into the middle of it and works good within it. Um, and, and so I can say then, um, if you're Jonah and you're trying to measure the goodness of the storm, the storm never quite seems good. But God worked good within that. In that through the death and resurrection, um, he ended up preaching to a whole nation that had forgotten the Lord. And they believed and they were saved. Um, when, we, when we expect from the Lord not the good, it means that we're still allowed to call things we don't like things we don't like. But it's that we recognize that God works good even from those things. Are you, are you kind of with me on this? Do you have questions or comments? Remember, you're all muted. So if you want to talk, you got to unmute yourself. One suggestion I have is when they phrase a question, mm-hmm. when you go to answer, if you could repeat the question so those of us that didn't hear the question would understand. Cool. All right. Everybody's pretty good with this. So then when we expect from God, not but good, that means he is the source of every blessing. He, he is the, the place from which all goodness flows. And that means, again, you, you can still call the things that he gives you good things. Um, and, and when there are things that you don't like, um, here, uh, again, we take them to the cross of Christ. Um, And so when when God sends disease, when God sends um, plague, when God sends um, COVID-19, because at the end of the day, like this thing that happened, you either have to say God is not responsible for it at all, in which case he's derelict in his duty, um, or you have to say God is working within it somehow. And I can say, I don't like the disease. The disease hurts people. The disease brings death and death is bad. God calls death the enemy of God. It is the last great enemy. But I also know what he's done to this enemy. He took it to the cross and he conquered that enemy there. So I can say that even if COVID in a world wrecked by sin were to do its very worst, it could not keep from uh, God, his elect. It could not keep from you, the resurrection of the body. Uh, when, when we start to look for good inside of this world, if you're going to measure it by stuff, um, it gets really, really hard. If you want to measure it by mercy, by the cross of Christ, by a place where, where God is actually working, um, then all of the sudden, uh, this becomes a much easier thing to do. So when we start to measure uh, from God, not but good, remember who God is. First and foremost, he's the God who bears the cross to save you. Because if you're going to set aside the cross of Christ, you're already dealing with a different God. If you're going to talk about God apart from Jesus dying on the cross, you're already talking about a completely different God. The God simply of power in this world is not the same God that you and I worship from the, 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 as revealed in the scriptures. We have to look to, to everything else that is going on because if, if, um, if you want to sort of limit God's goodness to what's going on in this moment, you also have to treat me as a parent this way. And when my, my daughter says, if you really loved me, you'd get me a pony. And I said, no, um, clearly I'm a bad father. If you want to measure God simply by stuff in this world, you end up with a different looking God, but you've got a God who's never promised you everything like that. You, you've got a God who's promised you good and sometimes good actually means to say no to your kids. Sometimes good actually means to discipline your kids. Sometimes good actually means to work even in the, within the hurt and the pain, to love them in the midst of it and carry them through it. Start to look for the God who is working in the midst of pain. And all of a sudden, it gets a lot easier to deal with this. Are you kind of with me on this? Because the first commandment puts us right in like the, the toughest question that, that we are going to have uh, in, in our lives as, as Christians. All right. You guys are theologians on par with uh, the excellent ones. Uh, If you're on board with this stuff, life's real easy. Uh, If you're struggling with it, ask questions. It's okay. Um, Because this is like, this this is the chief question that, that everybody who wrestles with religion wrestles with. We're, We're allowed to kick at it. Yeah. So you said you don't, you don't want to say God allowed it. I don't want to say that God just allows things to happen. Um, I, I, recognize that, um, we, we, sort of, um, when it comes to, to, certain things, when it comes to the election thing, we have to step back and, and say that, um, but, but of the things of this world that, that Luther's talking about in this, um, to, to expect from him, not, but good. God is the cause of good. He's not just allowing it. And when it comes to the things of this world that hurt me, we, again, we don't want to just simply say God allowed it. Like God sent the storm. Uh, when it comes to salvation, cause there's one place where we can't, Um, and that's again, when we deal with the elect and those who are not elect, um, God does not cause anybody to go to hell. We, we, we can't say that because the scriptures over and over and over again, say, I have no desire in the death. of And so when it comes to the things of salvation, yeah, we have to have a different question. Is that kind of where you're going with this? Well, like, no, like I'm trying, I'm saying like, if God is sovereign, he sent the coronavirus. So you're saying, don't say he allowed it. Say he is sovereign he sent the coronavirus and he will work good through it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Um, We can actually say not just God allowed the coronavirus, but God sent the coronavirus. Um, To to simply say God allowed the coronavirus, I understand what we're trying to do. We're trying to keep him back from the blame. of it. But like, instead of saying, well, if I don't like it, it must be bad. And therefore a good God would never give it to me. Um, Just sort of like, well, um, if you give uh, your kids vegetables, clearly you're an awful parent um, because they didn't like it. Instead of that, say, you worked good through giving your kid vegetables. Um, in the same way, God has promised to work good even through COVID-19. Um, and we've seen some of the places where it's happened. Um, simply in the fact that there are people who are hungry to come back to God's house. Like God has, has actually used this as a chance for us to reflect on the fact, the fact that when he gives us a third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, that's a gift, not a curse. Um, and to have that taken away for a little while, yeah, God has sharpened a hunger in some of us. And I thank God for that. Uh, when it comes to, to um, even just how we deal with our neighbor, um, it's been a good chance to reflect um, on, well, some of the, the divide that, that sets us apart where we can hopefully start to talk about our neighbor in terms of love and mercy and not simply as a person who believes differently than me. Um, somebody who, who warrants mercy and somebody whose conscience uh, matters to me. And so instead of uh, simply trying to win in this, I might hopefully see a world through somebody else's side. That, that might be a good thing God works in this. Yeah, like, I I mean, you can lay the thing on him. He himself says, if he's in charge of it, he's in charge of it. Pastor. Yeah. Uh, uh, Go back to Adam and Eve. And when they were sent away from the garden, uh, that started in motion, this whole thing that we're talking about, right? Yeah, when Adam and Eve sinned, that started sin in motion. And that's where all this started. And there was no COVID before. I mean, in the garden, there was no COVID. No, so, sin, okay. sin broke the whole world. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, there's, there's effects that's to a, that. That's a break point. Yeah, um, sin breaks stuff. And sometimes right. you see where it breaks stuff and sometimes you don't. Um, right. and, and so this, if you want to trace the dust all the way back to Adam and Eve who, who returned to it, yeah, you can find COVID in that fault. Um, yeah. that's, that's a given. But, but again, inside of this thing, what you have to ultimately say is, um, is the God who um, is, is responsible for dealing with sinners, going to deal with us in the same way and this is where it actually starts to matter see because you can do a lot of things too with um not only like i can say COVID isn't god's fault it's adam's fault Mm -hmm. but at the same time god could have taken care of that here's Mm -hmm. where you actually start to see the mercy because you can also do this with murderers so i I can say god could have known somebody would have killed somebody and just like struck them by lightning and did the whole thing Mm -hmm. god could have in fact flat sent to hell anybody who would ever hurt anybody else so it'd be really easy to do. The world would look much cleaner. It'd be very neat. God would be responsible for nothing that I don't like, except there'd be nobody here in this world to love.
1: <laughs> like the so, whole
0: point. I have a point that I want you to expound on. Yeah. I was talking a long time ago that, God, that it rains on good people and bad people equally. Yes, that's a Bible verse. So Matthew 5 says that God sends rain upon the good and the evil alike. Yeah, well, okay, I didn't realize that. Well, anyway, yeah, so it's found that because it seems like that touches this in a way. That's, yeah, absolutely. And that's because, well, God sends rain upon the good and the evil alike um, because God loves sinners. If God only loved the good people, he would only give stuff to the people who liked it, who, who earned it. And, and if God sort of said, you know, if you do too many things, I don't love you anymore, and you're out of the family, you get no more rain. And then it'd be really easy to, to judge in this world, who is a good Christian? Because I just would say, who has all the money and all the power? They must be the best Christians. Um, and in this world, you look around and that's not always the case. Sometimes you have good and godly men who are, are quite successful, who are, who are quite wealthy, who are quite powerful. And sometimes you have pagans um in, in in some of the most uh crass and, and uh disgusting ways um the question inside of this is did god die for that pagan i want to start there if god wants to be merciful even to that person well if he's willing to bleed and die for them like honestly what's a little bit of rain mm-hmm. does that kind of get to where you're going i want to go back to uh, uh what terry said about the, uh, god allowing does god allow i mm-hmm. think I think who allows this is it's on us because yeah. we, we allowed it when we rejected God in the garden and we were yeah. cast yeah. out of the garden. And the, the allowance of uh, the bad things that are happening to us is all on Adam and Eve and us. Yeah, when you want to talk about who's allowing it, you, you honestly find more sinners allowing it, us allowing these things to happen than God. God is in the middle of it working good. More often than not, I'm cheering on the evil. Like, honestly, more often than not, I'm all too willing to celebrate when the people I don't like get hurt. That's, that's the sinner that I am. Lord, have mercy on me. I could certainly do more to serve my neighbor. Like, there could be less homelessness in this world. It wouldn't actually be that hard. Um, it, it, if you guys would stop allowing homelessness, um, you know, everything would be fine. Um, if you want to so though, inside of this, see that, that God himself... Uh, claims that the son of man has no place to lay his head that jesus actually assumed homelessness for us to even say that he loved those who would measure his love not by their home but by their cross then again when when you start to look to him in the midst of need you can still say god give me nothing but good and and when i need this help me give me give me a place to stay give me people who will care for me give me a neighbor who will love me give me mercy to, to look to God and expect punishment um, is to set aside the cross. It's to set aside the fact that Jesus already bore that punishment. To look to God and expect good is to say, God, I know I've done some stuff. And if we want to do this based on what I deserve, it's going to be ugly. But you have been merciful. So keep being merciful. And if I don't understand this yet, teach me someday. But even now, we're good even if I don't understand it. Because like honestly, you guys get good from a lot of stuff you don't understand. None of us can explain how Zoom works. None of us. I, I don't know, Amen. But, but good comes from it. Like here we are. Um, if you have to be able to explain it to, for good to come from it, there's no good, there's very little good. Most stuff in the world that's that great, we can't explain it. Love, chief of money. Yeah, don't pray for justice, pray for mercy. Don't pray for justice, pray for mercy. I like that. Yeah, can you, can you pray for justice, Isn't your own justice. Uh, yeah, not, not even... Justice is a double-edged sword. It cuts both ways. Does anybody else have anything on this? That was good. So I, so I I know we're doing days here and because we're going Wednesday to Wednesday, there's sometimes a loss in what was previously discussed. Mm -hmm. And when you first got into, into this on page 21, it really got in. It says, whatever you like of good things expected of me and look to me for, for it. And when you suffer misfortunes and distress, creep and cling to me. How else can we possibly do this if we don't have some of these adversities that we find ourselves involved in? To include COVID and anything else we find ourselves. How else can we be brought back to God and and shown the great things if we don't if, if, uh, if, we, if we don't experience adversity ourselves? That's a fantastic point. I'm going to relay it for uh, the, the folks here. Um, that when we actually see um, in the page before um, that that when God would um, when 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 uh, distress would fall, that we would cling to God for help. That again, you see God actually using even the things we don't like, even the painful things of this world to drive us towards God. And that is a gift. That is a good gift. Um, so even go back to Jonah's storm, uh, which is actually a chief example of this. God used this storm to draw Jonah closer to God. Um, this the rod and the staff. Yeah, the rod and the staff in the psalm. Yeah. Yeah, when, you, when, you're, when you're a shepherd, you have the, the staff to restrain the sheep, and you have the rod to drive the sheep. And it's not always pleasant for the sheep. Right. Yeah. God works both of these things, but it's always to drive us towards him. That That's fantastic. Very good. point. Awesome. Anybody else got anything? All right. I want to go, um, picking up in uh paragraph 25, I'm going to grab just a little bit, uh, before it, so we have a, a whole sentence. Um, God alone uh, is the source from, all, from whom we receive all good, by whom we are delivered from all evil. Hence also, I think we Germans from ancient times call God more elegantly and appropriately than any other language by the name from the word good, as being an eternal fountain which gushes forth abundantly, nothing but what is good, and from which flows forth all that is and is called good. Uh, so, so the German word Gott for good, uh, God and good are synonymous. Uh, paragraph 26, for even though otherwise we experience much good from men, still whatever we receive by his command or arrangement is all received from God. For our parents and all rulers and everyone besides with respect to his neighbor have received from God the command that they should do us all manner of good so that we receive these blessings not from them but through them from God. For creatures are only the hands, channels, and means whereby God gives all things. He also, as he gives to the mother's breast and milk to offer her child and corn and all manner of produce from the earth for nourishment. Uh, n- none of which blessings could be produced by any creature of itself. So again, we have God who works through means. God works through people and he works through stuff. This is why the Ten Commandments are a gift because they actually start to show us what love looks like. Um, so when, when uh, a parent takes care of their children. That is God working through the parent to care for the child. And I know that God wills this because he simply says, parent should, um, parents should be a source of good for their children, that the children would honor their mother and father. Um, this, this then uh, also gets, gets magnified um, in the, the idea that as God knits together all of creation, um, he is the, the source behind it. So much so that when we talk about who we are um, inside of our vocations, uh, one of the ways that Luther would talk about vocation, the, the roles that you've been given, the callings that you have. And so some of my vocations, I'm a pastor, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a citizen. Um, Luther says these are masks that God wears. That, that he puts on a funny looking mask that looks just like Pastor Goodman and he preaches a sermon through it. And it's better than Goodman could ever come up with. But, but he he dresses up just like me and he works good. me. And he'll dress up just like you and he'll work good through you. And so we can be called then the hands of God. Uh, we, we can be called um, the, the the feet of God. We, we can be called uh, the things that God would work through. Um, and it becomes then a great miracle that actually gives life to the fourth commandment. And when we get to this, it's, it's gonna be something Luther spends a lot of time with uh, because we struggle with it so much that, How can I expect good from sinners? And well, if you're willing to find God working through them, it's a lot easier. I need to to keep going. Oh, yeah. Thank you. (laughs) you All right. We're uh, heading towards paragraph 27. Y'all with me? Questions, comments? All right. Therefore, no man should presume to take or give anything, except as God has commanded, in order that it may be acknowledged as God's gift, and thanks may be rendered to him for it, for as His commandment requires. On this account also, these means of receiving good gifts through creatures are not to be rejected, neither should we in presumption seek other ways and means than God has commanded. For that would be receiving from God, not be receiving from God, but seeking ourselves. There's a, a, an important little line here. Um, neither should we, um, in presumption, seek other ways and means than God has commanded. Um, and again, this is where we sort of have to just take a really cold, hard look at our creation and say, I'm pretty nervous about how things are going to work. And I'm pretty sure I can do it better. Um, and we have to take that, that um, impulse within us and check it from this fact that God wants to be the source of all goodness. Uh, More often than not, most of the times we sort of take these shortcuts, um, call it thievery, for example. Um, I I know that God has promised me my daily bread, but I'm pretty sure it's not going to work this way. So I've got a better way to make sure I got daily bread. I'm going to take it from one of you. Um, That's a a craft way of explaining it. But we we recognize that God sets good order to his creation. When we try and take shortcuts around that order, um, it's usually done for the best of intentions. It's always, in fact, almost always done for the best of intentions. Um, But we also have to recognize when God commands these things to be done this way, it goes better. And when we try and sort of go against God's commandment because we think we can do it better, um, it's usually because we're not looking to God to actually work through these means. Um, If you want to see it, uh, do it when you don't like your government. Um, Do it when when you don't like your parents. Do it when you don't like your authority figure. God has given you these authority figures, and he's actually promised to work good through them. Um, He's promised that not one kingdom is going to last until the end. The only kingdom that's gonna stand at the end is Zion. But for some reason, we have, we have convinced ourselves that if we build the perfect nation, we will have no problems. But then when we don't get the leader that we wanted, we decide we're gonna take shortcuts around this. We're, we're gonna just disregard the leader. God has promised to work there. It's the same way that, that if I don't trust God to actually give me my daily bread through normal means and I steal, um, that's, that's trying to circumvent his creation. Um, I'm not saying that there are not circumstances that pop up where God's normal uh, way of doing things is is, um, changed. Uh, You see this in terms of adoption, for example, um, where the the mother and father given um, are not the ones that, that end up raising you and showing you good. That's God working good inside of his creation. But the, 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 um, the doer of the verb kind of um, shows it worse. That's not what I wanted. Um, the presumption. Uh, that means what, when I decide I'm going to change how things are done, not God changes how things are done, but I'm just going to change how things are done because I don't trust him to work good here. Take a step back and recognize he's smarter than you. Are you kind of with me? Questions or comments? All right, let's keep going. Uh, paragraph 28. Let then um, everyone see to it that he esteemed this commandment great and high above all things and do not regard it as a joke. Ask and examine your heart diligently. and You will find whether it cleaves to God or alone or not. If you have a heart that can expect of him nothing but what is good, especially in want and to stress, and that moreover renounces and forsakes everything that is not God, then you have the only true God. If on the contrary, it cleaves to anything else of which it expects more good help than God, more good and help than God, and does not take refuge in him, but in adversity flees from him, you have an idol, another God. Notice the directionality in this that Luther is going to start to put. It's no longer simply God or idol, but if you have the true God in adversity, you go towards God. If you have an idol in adversity, you go away from God. Um, that, that means God, I'm pretty sure you're not going to do this thing. So I need more money so I can buy my way out of it. God, I'm pretty sure you're not going to do this thing. So, so I need control over the situation because I'm pretty sure I'm better at your job than you. Um, idolatry drives us farther from God to, to trust in the things that he would give instead of him himself is ultimately to say, uh, the giver doesn't quite know what he's doing. If God doesn't give you good gifts, that's a problem. If you don't see God as a good gift giver, that's a problem. But if you see God as a good gift giver, then in adversity, you go to God all the more. So in other words, when when sickness comes up, when COVID comes up, we pray more, not less. That's a sign we're doing this right. Are you kind of with me? Questions? All right, let's finish this out and then go to the exposition. In order that it may be seen that God will not have this commandment thrown to the winds, but will most strictly enforce it, He has attached to it the first terrible threat, and then a beautiful, comforting promise, which is also urged and impressed upon young people that they may take it to heart and retain it. It is this: For I am the Lord thy God among, uh, for, excuse me, for I am the Lord thy God, strong and jealous, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, but showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Uh, this is scripture. Uh, this is just Exodus uh, chapter, what, uh, 5, 20, verses 5 and 6? Awesome. I knew there was a 5 in there. <laughs> All right. Paragraph 31. Although these words relate to all the commandments, as we shall hereafter learn, yet they are joined to this chief commandment because it is of first importance that men have a right head. For where the head is right, the whole life must be right, and vice versa. So uh, we we call the first commandment the the chief commandment. In other words, if you have the first commandment down, the rest is going to make a lot of sense. And if you don't have the first commandment down, at best, God will be just sort of a vengeful God that gives you rules you don't like, but have to follow or else you'll get punished. Um, where the head is right, the whole body follows. And where the head is wrong, same, same. Paragraph 32. Interrupt me if you have some questions or anything to talk about, but uh, this is pretty straightforward. Uh, Learn, therefore, from these words how angry God is with those who trust in anything but him. And again, how good and gracious he is to those who trust and believe in him alone with the whole heart, so that his anger does not cease until the fourth generation, while on the other hand, his blessing and goodness extend to many thousands. Lest you live in such security and commit yourself to chance as men of brutal heart who think that it makes no difference of how they live. He is a God who will not leave it unavenged if men turn from Him and will not cease to be angry until the fourth generation, even until they are utterly exterminated. Therefore, He is to be feared and not to be despised. So, um, despise is a, a word that we, we talk about as just hate, it's to it, it's it's um, it's an I word. Um, to, to spy on. You kind of see it in English. Um, so if you're despying God, you're, you're intentionally not looking at him. So, so in other words, we, we, we fear God. Uh, we, we recognize that he, if he wants to make rules, they're going to be the rules. But to look to him as a source of good, even in the face that we are sinners against these, is to trust that God is merciful. To despise God is what you honestly see uh, when people's consciences start to get murdered. Um, when you, you just commit yourself against God so much so that you don't even want to look about him. You don't even want to think about him. Why would you want to go to church and be made to feel guilty for these things? We, we actually end up uh, having a harder time confronting God uh, rather than an easier one in the face of adversity. Um, to, to despise God um, is, is to look away from him for good. It's not just to hate him, but it's actually to, to refuse to, to look at him. You actually see this. Like, if, if like, I don't know if you have two kids that fight a lot, um, or if that's just some people out other than you, um, but when they're really, really mad at each other, they don't even want to look at each other. Like that's despise. I won't even meet your eye on this one. I'm just going to stare at the floor and grumble. Um, when, when somebody's so mad at you that they turn their back on you and just ignore you until you go away, it's because they despise you. That's what it is. Um, and, and there you, you sort of have to recognize that, that if, uh, if you choose to despise God, um, ultimately the people who suffer from that in your life aren't just you. But ultimately, you, you see that played out among the generations. And so, um, like, honestly, this is a, a Bible verse that's come true a, a couple times inside of creation. Um, I can tell you that there was twice inside of God's creation where every living, breathing human being was a God-fearing Christian. Adam and Eve, also Jonah's and his family. But for some reason, we have come to the point where there are nations that know not Christ. How do you think this happened? It happened slowly. It happened honestly uh, where America is right now. Where we're kind of at a precipice for it, um, and so where it goes is um, people are, are raised to to uh, to fear, love, and trust in God above all things, and they know ch- church is a is a great gift, and, and they cherish it very much, and they go and they receive God's gifts, and they tell their their kids, "You will receive these gifts." I'm not going to tell you why, just do it. And so they know that church is important because my mom and dad made me do it, but they can't quite vocalize why, and then they try and raise their kids, and so they try and say you have to do it but i have no idea that it's actually why it's that important and so i'm not going to be quite as ham-fisted as my parents were about it and then you have people who come church sometimes and the people who come to church sometimes raise kids who don't know christmas and easter and then a generation from christmas and easter it's kind of gone this happens slowly but at the same time the promise to rebuild it is magnificent on the promise to rebuild it's of whole nations. Understand that for thousands of generations, there is no such thing as a Christless nation. Because if God has actually promised to extend this um, to the thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments, that means that even when your kids don't, when their kids don't, when that, somewhere down the line it seems like it's lost, God has promised to keep a remnant of the faithful. There will always be a remnant. And that remnant will always think that they're about to totter and fall under. And that remnant will always think that they are the last on earth. And that remnant will always love the the part of Ezekiel where he goes up into the cave to die because he thinks he's the last one left. Um, And we always love to say, this is us. And this is where it all falls apart. But God has promised to be faithful to thousands of generations of those who love him and keep his commandment. And this word keep is something we're going to have to to spend some time with too. Uh, Because keep is not an action word. Keep is a heart word. So like, if I say, I'm going to go jump in a pool, will you keep my phone for me? I don't mean obey my phone and do everything that it tells you to do. I mean, keep it safe, treasure it, hold it as something special. If the bank is keeping your money for you, I hope they're not obeying it. Keep does not mean obey. Keep means treasure. To keep God's commandments is to say, these things are good, even when they paint me in a bad picture. These things are good. Whether or not I can actually do them, I should want to. The obedience comes from the fact that you treasure it. But if you fall short of it, that doesn't mean you're not keeping it if you still treasure it. You see what I'm saying? And so if you want to figure this out real quick, there's a really painful question you can ask when somebody asks, is it a sin if? Um, or, Or gives you all kinds of justifications for the things that they're doing. It's a really simple question. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? And that cuts through all of this stuff so fast. And so we can do it with, um, we did this uh, in, in men's group uh, Monday night. Uh, so we can do this with uh, like some of the more crass and really painful ones. So we can do it with abortion, um, which is just um, our Lord calls a sin because thou shalt not murder. Um, and then when, when we talk about this, the world will give you all kinds of reasons why this is okay. And they will say, look at the, the poor woman who has um, no husband to care for her, who has um, to, to quit her job over this, who is, is broke and alone and afraid, um, who, who, whose uh, rights have been uh, this, that and the other. And as you talk about this, you can actually have a real conversation now. And so I can say, all right, so, yeah, it's, it's an awful thing that you're alone. Um, and and that, that's, that's terrible. But is it a good thing or a bad thing to kill a baby? And I understand that that means that you might have to make some real hard life choices and life might actually get challenging for you. But is it a good thing or a bad thing? to kill a baby give every single excuse every one of them and then just keep asking is it a good thing or a bad thing because at the end of the day if you're going to come down to it and say it is a good thing to to kill a baby we have to have a talk not a good one and if you say it's a bad thing lord have mercy on me a sinner we can say the lord is merciful even unto sinners and even now let's maybe talk about some of these other hardships that you're going through maybe we can help you in the middle of them and that would be good too Uh, is it a good thing or a bad thing is it's a question of do you cherish god's commandment or not If you cherish it, it's a good thing if you despise it and look away from it. It's a bad thing That that means i'm not going to measure the fulfillment of the commandment in myself I'm going to measure it in whether or not it's a good thing And I wish that I was in a world where there's more of it not less of it I wish I lived in a world where there were less abortions That's a good thing I understand right now the world's a really messy place and it's awful So the question is is god going to be merciful to the sinners down here? both the ones who have sinned against and the ones who are doing the sinning. If that you have, then you can say both, I wish, there was, I wish there was less sin in this world, but I'm also not afraid to love the sinners. Look to God as the source of all good and look to God as the one who, who um, actually gives you good gifts, even inside of the commandments. Then we can talk about the word keep as a treasure word and not simply a do word because you can treasure a thing. Um, that that even when you fail to live up to its standards, are you kind of with me? Questions or comments there? Is there any? Is there any um, with fourth generation? Is there any significance that, to that that it would be the fourth generation? I don't know. Is there any significance that this would be the fourth generation, the third or the fourth generation? I don't know. Not not many uh, families.
1: Lived to have all four generations. Right. In
0: remembrance of the original. Did you ever, did you ever meet your great, great, great grandfather? No, I never remember most of my grandparents, but like I'm, I'm going to be careful with uh, most people don't know their fourth generation, just in the fact that as these commandments were given, the lifespans were in kind of that weird flummox. Like even Moses, as he gave it, lived to be what, 180 with eyes undimmed? Yeah. Um bless you. Um, so, so you can go to, like Adam was how many hundreds of years old? Uh, 900? Yeah. Adam made it for a good little while. Uh, Luther kind of wondered if uh, the lifespans didn't decrease as sin became more deadly in the world, that sin breaks up. And so as the world uh, continues to spin, it continues to wobble and get worse. You can actually look to creation to suffer. Um, and, and so uh, the people don't live as long because it's not as safe down here. Um, and so Adam saw quite a few generations. Um, Moses saw quite a few, um, but but this was also an eternal word given both to like um, the Middle Ages, where if you were 35, you were already kind of getting up there in life, um, and and they're given to a day where we might claw back, um, you know, up to 180. Who knows? Um, yeah, I don't know if I really want to get there. Like the eye dim seems like it'd be a really important part of being 180 to me. Um, like, I, I need glasses now, so uh, if, if I want to be around 180, uh, I, I don't know, life should be easier. Uh, otherwise, I just want to go and be with Jesus. <sighs> a lot of stuff. Questions, comments? I don't know. I've always had a problem with that anger not stopping to the fourth generation. Mm-hmm. I keep thinking, so is he mad at me about something my great-great-grandparents did? He's not mad at nothing. you, but he's mad at the thing. Yeah, and so it's not that like God is going to say I'm going to hate your kids because of what you did, but it's that the sin that you did has damage that will affect more than just you, and that's what God's upset about. Like that's the rea- so I mean even do it right now. So if um if I take my uh, my Trump bucks um there's a I forget the proper term for it uh, my stimulus check um and I buy um only whiskey and a new motorcycle, and and I. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, like, it's, it went into savings because, yeah, um, and, and debt. So, uh, I, as the, you don't want to look at it too long because you start to get these thoughts. If I took this thing that is supposed to feed my kids and I just spent it on me, it's my sin. But who suffers? My kids. They're hurt by it. And God's allowed to be upset about that. And that hurt carries on to other generations. It's not that God is exercising anger against those, but it's that the, the sin that God is angry about has um, ripples that go out past where you see. And that's the big thing about sin. Um, I'm really good at noticing when somebody sins against me. I have a problem with that. But I'm really actually not so great at noticing when I sin against other people and the damage that it does to their life. I mean, like the, the, the small little word that you say that ruins somebody's day. Um, God is angry about that because you hurt somebody, whether or not you saw it. Um, what he's talking about here chiefly in the first commandment is that unbelief has a whole lot more damage to it than you recognize. And other people are being hurt by your unbelief. This isn't just your problem. It's not just your relationship with God and how you relate to him one-on-one. But unbelief actually has uh, something that carries on outside of you and goes forward. So that uh, when we talk about whether or not, uh, whether or not we, we hear God is uh, a good gift giver, there's more going on simply than me and my personal relationship with God. That actually carries out into other generations. And so God is upset when we don't even keep his first commandment. Does that kind of get after it? Yeah. Awesome. You guys following? Cool, cool. Other questions? All right, we are on paragraph 35. He has also demonstrated this in all history as the scriptures abundantly show and daily experience still teaches or from the beginning, he has utterly extirpated all idolatry on account of it, both heathen and Jews. Even in the present day, he overthrows all false worship so that all who remain therein must finally perish. Therefore, although proud, powerful, and rich worldlings, uh, we don't need to deal with these names, I can't pronounce uh, because they're famous people, I don't know who they are. Uh, They're now to be found who boast defiantly in their mammon, who utterly disregard whether God is angry at or smites them and dare to withstand his wrath, if they shall not succeed, So in other words, I don't have to know who they are because they're not still alive. Their false worship didn't do them that much good. Uh, But before they are aware, they shall all be wrecked with all in which they trusted, as all others have perished who have thought themselves more secure, powerful. So um, God, uh, he smashes all idolatry. Ultimately, that all comes to nothing. Um, And so you see this then in the rise and fall of false religions. Um, You see uh, some of them ebb and flow. Um, So uh, one of the ones that's kind of come late and, and, kind of up and down as is Islam, for example, um, during Luther's time. Uh, they were invading Spain. Uh, Luther actually thought that the, the Muslims were going to take over the whole world and, and end it by force. Um, he was terrified. Um, and then they went to nothing for a long time, and they, they rose up for a while again as a, as a threat through terrorism um, in, in its extreme forms. Um, but, but you recognize, though, even sort of the, the gods who sort of ruled all in all, nobody cares about Zeus anymore, not actually all the idolatry comes to nothing and all those people who would sort of lay claim to, um, even, um, when their idols are themselves also will come to nothing. Like it it takes a a powerful, powerful kind of person to be remembered in 300 years. You know what I mean? And like, even then, uh, mostly it's just sort of a name recognition. Like, so, so, I mean, I, I can't tell you what was George Washington's favorite color. I can't tell you what kind of music he liked. I'm sure there are people who've given their lives who actually know Washington's favorite musical pieces. I have no idea. I know that the Cherokee was probably not true. And he was our first president. I know Revolutionary War. I know some history. But like, understand how great you have to be for your name to be remembered. If in your life and time, you think that you are building something that will last forever and ever and ever. No. But there's this other great side of it. So um, in Revelation chapter 7, it's our All Saints text. Uh, it's uh, Revelation 7, 14, um, where, where John looks and he beholds a host arrayed in white, uh, more than anyone can number, from all tribes and nations. And he says, who are these coming out of the great tribulation? And he looks at him and he says, sir, you know. These are the ones who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's you. You understand that? Like, you're in the Bible right there. That's you in Revelation 7, that, that John saw all those years before you were ever born, you made it through. You are remembered because of what God has done. This is the salvation in Christ alone that carries us forward. This is the hope then that that we will be united in this. And, and that's also the great hope, too. Um, that 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 one sort of bumper sticker thing ain't entirely true that like you don't got nothing when you come into this world and you're not taking anything out with you. That's not entirely true. You take out the faithful with you. Like, God willing. I'm taking my kids with me out of this world. Like not like in a, they have to go when I go kind of moment. Um, Like screaming in the car kind of joke or or any of that. Yeah, I know that joke. Um, But um, yeah, Uncle Fred died peacefully unlike the rest of the people screaming in his car. Thank you. Um, No, but I do mean though that the faith that sustains me sustains my loved ones too. And so I can actually have hope to see you on the last day. I, I have a hope to see you should the world turn another 3000 years and nobody remember that the things we did, we will be remembered in Christ. And that's better because that endures. Are you kind of with me? Questions or comments? All right. Uh, where are we at? Let's go just a little bit more. Paragraph 37. And just because of such hardened heads who would imagine because God connives and allows them to rest in security that he either is entirely ignorant or cares nothing about such matters, he must deal a smashing blow and punish them so that he cannot forget it unto the children's children so that everyone may take note and see this is no joke to him. For they are those whom he means when he says, who hate me, those who persist in their defiance and pride, whatever his or said to them, they will not listen. When they are reproved in order that they may learn to know themselves and amend before the punishment begins, they become mad and foolish. So as fairly to merit wrath as now see daily in bishops and princes. Um, So we can recognize that even here, Luther kind of points out, um, when something burns in a really spectacular fashion, we might actually learn we shouldn't do that thing. And so there we can actually find something good that God would work even in the midst of all this pain. Um, that that God would simply give us a warning, don't do this thing. The word I kind of want to focus on this, though, is uh, here, punish, uh, in paragraph 37, um, and it pops up again in 38. Um, Does God punish believers? Does God punish believers? I'm going to say no, because of that cross right there, where he said, it is finished, and that was the punishment for our sins, right? If it's finished, there's no more punishment. There's chastisement like god will teach you right yeah you you will you will suffer a consequence but that's like that's not god punishing you that's god trying to make you learn something so that you don't do it again don't hurt that's back to the rod and the staff right um god punishes unbelievers because the cross was where jesus bore the punishment for all the sins of the world and an unbeliever is simply this somebody who doesn't want their sins forgiven by jesus if jesus is saying i'm going to pay for all your sins and you're like no you're not real. You're not real. You're imaginary. I want to do this myself. God will say, okay. But there's only punishment for those for whom it is not finished. For you, it is finished. God does not punish you. God will not punish you. In faith, there is no punishment because the punishment was put on the cross. These are the people who, um, like even as Luther talks about it, um, that uh, they, they have hardened heads and hearts. They, they, um, they figure that if they're getting away with this, God must, uh, must be all right with it, or just uh, he, he hasn't figured out that this is, we're getting away with it yet. Um, God will occasionally punish people, um, the unbelievers, um, by giving them exactly what they ask for. That's, that's actually God's, probably his favorite way uh, to punish people. Um, so, so when Israel, for example... Uh, was was given um, a group of good judges, and they said all the other nations had a king, and they rebelled against God, and they said we want a king, and God's like that's a bad idea, no you don't, and they're like yeah we want a king, and God gave them a king, and it went poorly. Um, when the Babylonian captivity came, the people said God, we want to live in a nation that's powerful, and, and and he said no you don't, <laughs> and they said no we would rather have that than you, and he said all right fine. Um, God tends to do this, but that's also what hell is. Understand that. Hell is simply you insisting on having a life away from God for eternity. And God's like, that's a bad idea. And if you insist on it, he'll be like, okay, but that, that's what hell is. Hell is simply the people who ask to be away from God get to be. Lord have mercy. But again, this is where we preach. Um, and what Luther kind of says in this, um, is that, uh, again, um, when, when we start to see, uh, that, that frustration exhibited, it's not that God is mad at the children who are suffering. It's that God is so mad at this situation, um, because of, of how, how, um, how massive the scale is, that sometimes he actually wants people to recognize this is a dangerous thing. And he allows it to, to be seen in light of just how damaging it actually is. It's not God exercising hatred against children for the sins of but that's God really upset that the parents sin affected the, the kids and he actually wants everyone else to recognize this so that more kids won't get hurt. Does that kind of get to where we're going? Questions or comments before we close down for the night? All right. Uh, we will pick up at 39 next time. Top our Lord and trusting in his promises. We are bold to pray. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you all so much for your time tonight. Have a great night. How many do you have in the class? Uh, about a dozen or so. That's not bad.